All right, coming up, all the latest on Iran. Stunning new details have emerged. And you know what's amazing? The media, they have this bombshell of a story staring them in the face, and yet they have no clue. They like they literally don't know even they don't even know what they're reporting. I have to I'm talking about that attack on Natanz, which the nuclear facility which has done severe severe damage according to multiple reports and it's like I have to pick apart these stories one by one until I finally come across the few details that are actually relevant and that you know to put the story together here I mean this is going to make your hair stand on end all right president Joe Biden will soon be releasing thousands Biden calls it a crisis breaking news Biden calls the border mess a crisis crisis is a huge understatement at this point Biden finally catching up with the times uh and but he's soon going to be releasing thousands of illegals this is according to the the u.s government according to ice uh biden will soon be releasing thousands of illegals into the united states each week yes hundreds a day this is according to a new document released by ice they're projecting that by june there will be 400 families of illegals mid-june released into the united states to just roam free never of course appear back why would they appear back for their hearing they never get caught they never get busted nobody's even looking for most of these people yes joe biden about six seven eight weeks too late here calling it a border crisis it was like a matter of fact statement it was like a slip of the tongue almost he was referencing the border he was comparing it to the refugee issue which is a separate issue that biden is getting hammered about and he's going to cave into the radical left but he called it a a border crisis so it's it's a slip of the tongue and that's the only time you can ever expect to hear the truth out of biden or any of these democrats or most politicians frankly unlike trump is when they mistakenly go off script and they're having a conversation about something else and they talk about the border and oh by the way call it a crisis meanwhile kamala harris vice president kamala harris why have has anybody heard from her in weeks has anybody heard anything from kamala harris now you may say well of course because She's the VP. Vice presidents don't really do very much. Well, yeah, but the problem is that she's supposed to be in charge of the border crisis. Or should we call it a catastrophe if Biden's admitting it? Remember, it's a challenge. No, it's not a crisis. It's a challenge. Tens of thousands. You know, in March, you had 172,000 illegals crossing the border. You haven't seen illegally. You haven't seen that in years and years. It's a challenge. Well, it's a it's a rough challenge. It's a difficult challenge. Anyway, now it's a catastrophe. Now it's a total disaster. But Kamala Harris was put in charge. She was tapped by Biden weeks ago, almost four weeks ago to fix the border mess. She was put in charge. It is surging out of control and she is nowhere to be found. She has not held a press conference. Remember all those weeks that uh, we waited for Biden to hold a press conference? He finally did. It was a nightmare. Well, Kamala, apparently it's contagious because now Kamala, it's over 25 days that she has been in charge of the border. She has not held a press conference. I don't blame her because it's going to be disastrous because what could she possibly say? It's a total mess. It is spiraling out of control. It's gotten worse than ever in the last few weeks since she's been placed in charge. She hasn't even visited the border, which is disgraceful. So uh, Harris was actually criticized by the head of one of the very large Border Patrol agent unions. So this is, let me give you the details here. Brandon Judge Judd, he's the pre- Brandon Judd, J-U-D-D, president of the National Border Patrol Council. He was on Fox News, and he his union represents 18,000 Border Patrol agents. He said that it's no accident that Kamala Harris has not traveled to the border since she has. Do you believe this? They put Kamala Harris in charge of the border. 
and she has not actually visited the border, the detention facilities, to see what these poor migrants, these illegals, these poor children are going through. And look, you know, some of them obviously are bad people, but some of them are innocent people who have just been drawn to the United States who can blame them because Biden essentially basically said, hey, come over here. We're not going to do anything to stop you. This is your ticket after all these years of Trump sending you back. Anyway, so Kamala Harris she hasn't even visited. I mean, there are people who have no connection. There are politicians. There are just people, human interest people, people who are, you know, human rights people who are concerned about the well-being of these poor children. They visited the border, but Kamala Harris, who's the VP, who's in charge. So here's what Judd said, quote, because if she goes to the U.S. border, people are going to expect her to fix the problem. So she avoids it. That's disgusting because that's putting politics ahead of what's best for this country. Well, that's, end quote, that's what Kamala Harris does best, I would add is putting politics ahead of what's best for this country. And that's what most Democrats do. And you're going to say to me, well, don't some Republicans do that also? Yes. Yes, some Republicans do. It's far more prevalent in Democrats. We could go through the details at some point, but Democrats, because with them, they literally take advantage of a crisis for their own political benefit. They live for crises. The Democrat Party almost wouldn't exist because everything is about a crisis. It's about racism. And, you know, it's about helping minorities and welfare programs and health care. Anything that they perceive as a crisis where the government can step in and solve the problem, that's their whole platform. All right, let's get to Iran. Things are happening with Iran that I never expected to see in my lifetime. And a lot of the credit goes to President Trump because he has made the impossible possible. He's made the improbable likely and probable. Basically, he's given Israel. This is what Trump did. And it's amazing because Biden's having a very tough time stopping it. He gave Israel the license to attack Iran freely and repeatedly and really just crush their nuclear program. And, um, and and now Israel is not being stopped. In previous times under Obama, they would be condemned. They would be criticized by the U.N., by Europe, by the U.S., and we're not seeing that happen. Now, is that going to change? We don't know, but it's certainly amazing to watch. So the Trump impact has been sticking. He completely changed the playing field. Iran is weaker than they've ever been. The Palestinians, by the way, who were propped up by Iran, they're weaker than they have ever been. Israel is stronger. And I don't see Biden able to reverse it anytime soon. Here are the details. Iran has now admitted, at least one Iranian official has admitted, or multiple Iranian officials have admitted that Iran, Israel has been sabotaging their nuclear program. But we have one high-level Iranian official who has admitted that the damage is severe. This not only did Israel blow up or set off, detonate an explosion at the Natanz nuclear facility damaging centrifuges, but the damage is extensive and severe, may have set the nuclear program in Iran back by months, if not years. Now, there's no way to know for sure. But, you know, usually the Iranians, they tend to downplay the damage. So if you have one Iranian official who's admitting severe damage, that tells you an awful lot. Now, this was not a cyber attack, as we previously believed. It was an actual explosive device, at least according to reports. This was an explosive device that was smuggled into the facility. And this is just shocking in a lot of ways, an explosive device smuggled into the Natanz facility and then detonated remotely. Meanwhile, Iran says there is a suspect who fled the country hours before the explosion. They believe is the man who smuggled this, some Iranian who they believe smuggled this. Now, you have to believe, of course, that he was working for the Mossad. But just think about all that we've been seeing. And now this, a, a, an explosive, this is the most highly secure location facility in the entire Iran. This is probably the most, I mean, this is the, the literally the epicenter, the heart of Iran's nuclear program, nuclear weapons program. So you're talking like one of the most highly secure facilities on the planet. 
and somebody manages to smuggle in an explosive device and then it gets detonated remotely, how deeply embedded does the Mossad need to be for these kinds of attacks to happen repeatedly? It almost boggles the mind. You know, you wonder how high up the chain, nothing would shock me if the, if, if the, if the Israelis and the Mossad have, have bought off some of the highest ranking members of the Iranian regime. I mean, remember a couple of years back, Iran now admits to it, but a couple of years back, <clears throat> the Israelis actually stole 100,000 files, 100,000 files from a top-secret Iranian nuclear facility, all sorts of nuclear files, all sorts of secret information, and the Israelis, the Mossad, somehow managed to steal it right out from the Iranians, under the Iranians' nose. Can you explain that to me? Meanwhile, one Iranian official says that the damage in Natanz last week was so severe that it set the nuclear program way back. He said thousands of centrifuges. This is Alireza Zakani, the head of the Iranian parliament's research center. He was in an interview, being interviewed on state television. You wonder why the Iranians, they obviously have something up their sleeve if they're releasing this information. And maybe they're, you could tell me the cynical view is, well, you know, they're trying to exaggerate the damage because they want to make it look like the Iranians are weaker than they are strategically. Look, who knows? I know when the Israelis strike, it's usually pretty strong. But he said that thousands of centrifuges were either damaged or completely destroyed. We know these centrifuges have one use and one use only to enrich uranium. To Well, for the Iranian, it's for peaceful purposes. It's the Iranians want nuclear power to power their country. It's just, it's nuclear energy that they want. They, they don't want a nuclear bomb. But um, another Iranian official has admitted that Israel stole uh, 100,000 secret nuclear files from that secret nuclear facility we were discussing before. Remember when Netanyahu a couple of years back held that epic press conference detailing all the lies, all the secret Iranian nuclear activity, nuclear research that they have not disclosed before the Obama nuclear deal that they signed. So this is all devastating news to Iran. They're being pummeled by Israel. And as of now, nobody's coming to their rescue. I haven't heard Biden utter a word. I'm waiting here. I'm sitting here kind of cringing, waiting to see Biden get up and say, listen, I call on Israel. I condemn Israel. They should not be attacking Iran. It hasn't happened just yet. The pathetic Europeans, they're, of course, trying to come to Iran's rescue. So you got the talks in Vienna, but so far we haven't heard anything materialize there. We'll keep an eye on that. Remember last year, Israel assassinated an Iranian nuclear scientist. There have been many, many mystery explosions that have ravaged Iranian nuclear sites. Now the Israelis are attacking Iranian cargo ships that are breaching international sanctions. So it really is very stunning. Now, remember, I want you to think about this. Um... Lieutenant Colonel Michael Segal is an expert on strategic affairs in Israel, focusing on Iran, Middle East, and terrorism. He's a senior analyst at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. And last Monday, he said that this attack on Natanz may have caused years of work to go down the drain. Now, he may not know all the details of this attack, but he may know a lot more than he's letting on. Here's what he said, quote, This is not the first time centrifuges in Natanz have crashed one way or another. I'm not sure how many cascades were destroyed there, and it's not clear what happened, but when a cascade breaks, it represents years of work that go down the drain. A cascade is a group of centrifuges that work together, by the way, to enrich uranium more quickly. Um, Segal also said the political repercussions on Iran, the Iranian regime, they are suffering big time because they're becoming a laughingstock uh, in the eyes of their own people. He said Iranians are mocking the regime on social media because they cannot protect their own nuclear program. Quote, the regime has been exposed as it continues to absorb attacks. There is a growing erosion in its perception by the American people and certainly by the Iranian diaspora. 
So essentially, this is a top expert on Iran saying that the Iranian people, they are just mocking, they are just laughing at the Iranian regime, at the Ayatollah and the Iranian government because they are they look so pitiful, so pathetic. The Israelis are just having their way with them, just doing whatever they want and not to be able to protect their own nuclear program. This is the most cherished, prized possession of the, of the entire regime. And not just one attack, but so many attacks here. And they, they, they can't see it coming. They can't do anything to stop it. Meanwhile, a very frightening announcement this past week. Iran has announced that they have been enriching uranium now up to 60% purity level. Remember, 90% is needed to actually create a nuclear bomb, a nuclear weapon. And they're already up to 60% enrichment. And it goes much faster as the numbers get higher. Remember, you know, they were like at like 3 or 4% um, se- several months ago. Then they went up to they upped it to 5%, increased it to 10, 20%. And they're just getting higher and higher here. And of course, nobody seems to be stopping them. So that is very frightening, very disturbing. Now, did this attack set them back? Hopefully. But 60%, again, I always take what they say at face value because you have to assume even hopefully... You know, it's just it's just false propaganda, but you cannot assume that. You have to assume that they're doing even more than what they claim to be doing. Anyway, they may be doing this to pressure. They're clearly doing this to pressure Joe Biden into making concessions because they want to make make themselves appear to be a far bigger threat than they are, hoping that Biden will rejoin the Iran nuclear deal and alleviate uh, a lot of the sanctions that were placed on them by Trump. But here's what we need to keep in mind. Remember how much Obama empowered Iran. Remember, they already had centrifuges in place, even before Trump pulled out of the deal. They had hundreds, thousands of centrifuges in place, totally legal, under the Obama nuclear deal. They have long-range missiles, intercontinental ballistic missiles, totally legal under the Obama nuclear deal. Those missiles are nuclear capable. You can literally, they're ready to have a nuclear bomb slapped on them and then sent thousands of miles away. The Iranians have your have uranium stored, lots of uranium stored stockpiles, perfectly legal under the Obama nuclear deal. Yes, I know it sounds crazy. Centrifuges to enrich uranium, long-range intercontinental ballistic missiles, nuclear capable, and stockpiles of uranium, all legal under the Obama deal. Obama gave them all the ingredients, and now we are seeing how just how many months it took, and it's not many, for them to already be this close to actually developing a nuclear weapon. In other news, Ben and Jerry, the ice cream makers. Yes, Ben and Jerry. They they, they they make ice cream. They have an ice cream company. They're extremely liberal, probably socialist. For years, that's already known. They put out a statement. First of all, stay out of politics. Make your ice cream, okay? Stay out of politics. Do me a favor. But they put out a statement in support of defunding the police. This is so disgraceful. Just go, what do you know about the police? What do you know about politics? Go back to making ice cream. And here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to stick Ben and Jerry in a dark alley somewhere with a druggie. And I don't want to get into race. With a white druggie brandishing a knife, a man who's high on cocaine, who's extremely dangerous. Put them in an alley with this man late at night. And let's see if they still support defunding the police. I want to see them call up a social worker, call up a therapist and say, please help me because there's a man here high on cocaine who's threatening me with a knife. Uh, here's the thing. These, these, these wealthy... People, they live their cushy lives. I think Ben and Jerry live in Vermont. Okay, they've never seen an emergency situation. They're sitting there. They've got, they're protected by their armed guards or the security systems. They're in a very nice neighborhood. They've never, ever witnessed this kind of, uh, you know, emergency and this kind of scenario. And they're tweeting from their comfortable couches 
about defunding the police. So here's a quote here. I mean, it's just out, it's just outrageous. Uh, so here's a quote from this statement that Ben and Jerry put on their website, quote, the defund movement acknowledges that police are not appropriate or effective responders to homelessness, mental illness, addiction, school discipline, or any number of issues that are not criminal and pose no danger. In fact, relying on the police to solve those problems only escalates interactions, resulting in unnecessary conflict. It criminalizes behavior that would be able to be better handled by a professional and compassionate social safety system. Enough is enough. We cannot arrest or incarcerate our way out of the challenges that face our communities. It does not work. It does not make our safer. We have to invest in our communities, etc. And here's the thing that nobody, you know, when you actually get into the number one, where's the data? I love this. They Apparently, they've done a lot of analysis of this. They've done a lot of research, Ben and Jerry, and they've come out that police escalate the problems, don't solve these problems. So it's not based, it's based on, you know, their own feelings and their own emotions. But putting that even aside, here's the thing. It's very simple. This is a very, very simple equation. Yes, you need social workers, you need therapists, you need all that, whatever they call that social safety system that's very important to have in the long term. When you want to, when you have people who are drug addicts, when you have people who have mental illness or addiction or anything else, homeless people, you need to deal with them with the mental health professionals. But that's not what the police are for. The, no, the police are not going into an office, into a clinic and giving these people therapy. The police are called when there's an emergency situation. The police are called when there's a homeless man or a drug addict who poses a threat to somebody who's going to hurt somebody. There have been so many stories, tragic stories. And yeah, that moment, yeah, the social worker is great for the big picture for the long term. But when you're in an emergency and somebody here is a threat, of course you're going to call the police. And that's what's so absurd about this whole nonsense, bogus movement. All right, so last week... Speaking of law enforcement, and I'm going to once again criticize the FBI, and I have a lot of respect for the FBI, but it seems to me that they focus on, and again, this is anecdotal, but there's a lot of stories here, so this is my opinion, that they focus on solving crimes that took place, finding criminals when the crime already happened, as opposed to focusing on preventive measures, preventing crimes that are going to take place. Now look, you know, it, it, it's a lot, in a certain sense, it's a lot more glamorous for an FBI agent to find a, a wanted criminal as opposed to preventing a crime and who says that crime is ever going to happen. So I get it. You know, It's not the thing they're going to spend time on because they're not going to get a lot of credit for all the mass shootings they prevented. But we hear these stories again and again of these horrific, unspeakable mass shootings. And, um, and then the shooter was actually on the FBI's radar before the, the crime took place. So last week there was a horrific, horrific mass shooting, yet another one. And, uh, you know, it's, I feel like we had a break, you know, during the COVID lockdown, there was a break from a lot of these things, but now they're, they're becoming rampant again a little bit. And, uh, I don't want to get desensitized. I'm terrified. I don't even like talking about these stories because they're so sad. They're so tragic. They're so heartbreaking. And any words I use are, are not going to be strong enough. So I'm not going to do it justice, which, which, uh, it, it just, it's, it's, it's a heart wrenching, heartbreaking, unspeakable tragedy. And, and, and the more these happen and we report them, the more we get desensitized. So those are all of my fears. Why I, I usually try to avoid this, but I, I can't. Unfortunately, I have to report this as my job. It's my duty. So this is an unspeakable horror at the FedEx facility, I believe, last Thursday. And um, so, 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 so tragic. Nobody should ever need to suffer like what these people have suffered through. Anyone who's a victim of any of these crimes of the families. And as I said, um, so here's what happened. A 19-year-old... Um, FedEx worker who had worked at this facility. Where was this? In Indianapolis. Um, he killed eight people late on Thursday. Oh, injured seven others. 
And um, it seems that last year his own mother, his according to FBI officials, this shooter's own mother reported him to the FBI or to the police. Last week, the mother reported the suspect uh, to law enforcement in March of 2020. Um, this is according to uh, FBI Special Agent for Indianapolis, Paul Keenan. And look, she thought that the suspect was going to try to hurt himself or try to get the police to hurt him. I don't want to, I just can't, I'm going to spare you all the gory details. I just can't, I just can't report it. But here's what Keenan said, Paul Keenan, again, FBI special agent, quote, the suspect was placed on immediate detention, mental health, temporary hold by the Indianapolis Police Department. A shotgun was seized at his residence based on items observed in the shot in the suspect's bedroom. He was interviewed by the FBI in April 2020. And Keenan said no criminal violation was found. Um, the, the suspect did not indicate support for any racially motivated ideological extremism while he was under assessment. The shotgun was not returned. It, I, there are reports that whatever guns he used, I believe he used rifles, and I believe he obtained them legally. And if we need to do more background checks, I'm good with that. And if you want to tell me, listen, if somebody was reporting, come up with a way to do background checks to prevent somebody like this from obtaining a weapon legally. I suspect he can obtain one illegally. But I'm good with that. We have to tighten the restrictions. I'm fine with that. But the conversation here has to be about improving and tra- and, and changing and reforming how the FBI uh, does business, how the FBI goes about actually preventing this kind of thing, monitoring these people. After I mean, he was reported by his own mother. To me, that the alarm bell should be ringing off. If somebody is reported by his own mother, he should never own a weapon in a million years. Period. Well, what about the one guy who's reported by his mother, but his mother just has a gripe against whatever? I don't care. How often is somebody reported to law enforcement by their own mother? I'm sure it's extremely rare. Um, so uh, to me, the FBI needs to figure out a way to monitor somebody after these kinds of reports happen. Again, we've seen this again and again. Oh, but but so many people, you're going to say to me, so many people are reported to the FBI. The FBI has so many. I'm sorry. That is their job. Their job is to monitor threats to society to try to prevent these attacks. So if you tell me, listen, nobody ever called them. They can't monitor 300 million people in the United States. But, you know, I don't think anybody's ever called the FBI to report me. I can't guarantee that, but I don't think so. I mean, spy on this person. If the FBI can spy on Carter Page, then the FBI can spy on... This man who was reported to the FBI or to law enforcement by his own mother. There needs to be a better system. And, you know, the Parkland shooter, that that person was known to the FBI. We've heard many, many of these stories. I've reported on this numerous times. And the irony is the Democrats are busy ranting about gun control. And like I said, I'm open to tighter measures with gun control to prevent people who are mentally ill from owning guns. I do think the system needs to be reformed. Yes, I've said it. I know that's not going to be popular. I don't think that's an infringement on the Second Amendment if you prevent people with mental illness from owning guns. But here's the thing. The Democrats have been silent on the fact that most of these killers have been known to law enforcement, and yet you barely hear anybody, the politicians, even discussing that, that if we would reform the FBI, who's too focused on solving crimes which took place and not focused enough on preventing crimes, and you know what? Should I get into Libby Kletsky right now? Let me get into Libby Kletsky. I don't tell the story very often. Libby Kletsky, obviously one of the biggest tragedies that we've ever experienced. You probably know the story. He was a young boy. He was in Brooklyn. He got lost, walking home from camp one day. He was about nine years old, and uh, he got lost, and he was kidnapped by somebody who was severely mentally ill, somebody, a very, very dangerous person, who then, of course, murdered young Libby Kletsky. Now, the reason I discuss this is because I went to Brooklyn that day. And look, I'm no hero. I'm just a regular person, but I just I heard the story. Somebody was missing. A kid was missing. Um... And I just went to Brooklyn and said, I'm going to go and search for this kid. And I was really, really disturbed. And again, not to bash, law enforcement does a lot of good. I'm always the one defending the police. 
But the NYPD, they were all over the place. There were thousands of people searching Brooklyn, thousands of civilians searching Brooklyn for Libby and nobody had any clue what they were doing. I felt like the whole thing was just a show, just for the sake of the, the, the PR, the press, the media. Because what happened was I went to police, you know, and, I, and I said, you know, tell me his route that he took home. He was walking home from camp. He got lost. And please tell me the route that he took, because all they gave was the, the location of where he originated, where he was headed. But there were multiple routes which he was supposed to take. And if I had known that, it could have been very helpful. And, uh, and and they, they couldn't tell me that. They wouldn't tell me that. Maybe they didn't know it. I don't know. I asked them what the strategy was. I said, if you just search around backyards and stores, you're probably not going to find him because he had been missing at that point already for 12 or 14 hours. I didn't think he was in a backyard. But I was looking because you, you look because what else can you do? The FBI was there. The FBI, these people showed up in suits and they had their fancy earpieces and whatever. They were clearly federal agents. And I asked them, can you please help me? I just want to know what I'm looking for, what the route was, what the, you know, what leads you, anything. And they just, they wouldn't even talk to me. They would barely even look at me. They like looked down at me with disdain. And you know, who's this guy? Come on. He thinks he's going to go. Well, here's the amazing part of the story. And obviously the story ended tragically. But what's shocking about the story, and this is the most underreported story in history, is that the person who ended up locating, Libby Kletsky was located, but it was a, li- a few hours too late. The killer was located, and, 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 and he's in jail. And it's because of the man, this was the teacher, Libby Kletsky's teacher's father, who found out about the story, and he actually went, very smart man. I wish I had thought of this. He went store to store. He did the job the police should have done but didn't do. Store to store, looking, analyzing surveillance footage, tracking. He tracked Libby Kletsky's movement. He went store to store. It took hours and hours. He had no help whatsoever. And I spoke to him myself. I called him and I spoke to him to verify the story. It was reported in the news, but not enough. And uh, he basically went store to store. He went looking, pouring through hours of surveillance footage. And uh, eventually he'd find, all right, next door, the next door. And he would track his routes and he saw where he took the wrong turn, or actually he missed a turn, to be precise. And that's why he ended up going in the wrong direction. And then he eventually got on camera a car, which Libby Kletsky got into because he was told by the person who owned the car, who eventually killed him, that uh, he would be taking him home. And uh, it was a whole terrible, and then he ended up taking him upstate to a wet. It was a whole crazy, crazy turn of events. You know, really, really just a, a, a tragedy that just, it breaks your heart. There's no words to describe it, obvi- obviously, obviously. But th- this man solved the crime himself. If he had help from police or help from some of us, he could have done it 10 times quicker. They would have found Libby alive, it turns out. But because he was doing it on his own, he had no help from the police. He tried to get the police, but they wouldn't help him, same as me. Only this man actually took matters into his own hands. This man thought out of the box. He did what anybody should have done. And he literally traced the, the surveillance footage store to store. He spent hours and hours doing this, and he discovered he solved this crime himself. The police did nothing. The FBI did nothing. They didn't even, it was just a show. They were all over the place. But I asked them, what are you actually doing? How do you expect to just find him, just like a needle in a haystack? And they said, well, they just shrugged. And, and I was really, really disappointed with them. And it was because it got so much media attention, they felt they had to go through those motions. But uh, that's my personal story. Now, do they do a lot of good? They do a lot of good. Does this mean, is this like a black sh- shadow, a black mark that tarnishes everything they do? No. But at the end of the day, these people, they have their own lives, they have their jobs, they have, you know, their own um, agenda, let's call it. And it's not necessarily in, in the best interest, you know, to solve crimes. All right. Joe Biden, President Biden announced he's pulling out of Afghanistan. And here's the issue I have, because once again, the media is, you know, going on and on about this story about Afghanistan, but they don't really know what they're talking about. Are we surprised? They, like, they just don't get it. They're just dancing around the issues. They're not discussing the actual issue. And here's, you have to understand the real issue with Afghanistan. I'm not against Biden, pull, Biden pulling out of Afghanistan. 
But you have to know what the, the real discussion here is. Because here's what I keep seeing. This is America's longest war. Biden's going to end. We've been there for years and years. It's the longest war in the United States history, almost 20 years. So it's time to get out. Here's the thing. As it doesn't matter how long we've been there. The question is, is there a good reason to get out? Or is there a reason that we need to be there? Very simple. I don't care if you've been there three years, five years, or 50 years. Is the American presence needed to prevent a dangerous attack, to prevent a dangerous threat? If you believe you're pulling out, you can pull out and still um, not have repercussions, that's fine. But if not, I don't care if it's the longest war. We, let's not talk about the length of the war. Let's talk about why they're there. Secondly, the media, some of them are criticizing Biden, believe it or not. But they're saying, listen, you can't leave. They're, they almost have this one. They say you can't leave because then the Taliban is going to swoop in. The Taliban is a group of extremist Muslim terrorists. And they're going to, and yes, they're terrorists. Yes, don't tell me, well, they're just supporting, te no, 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 they're terrorists. But um, they're going to swoop in and they are going to, they're going to take away women's rights. This is what I'm seeing in the media. They're going to take away women's rights. They almost got it. Yes, the Taliban's going to swoop in. They're going to take control. They've done it before. And yes, that's going to be very dangerous, but it's not about women's rights. We're not fighting this war. The reason the U.S. military has had a presence in Afghanistan for 20 years is not because of women's rights. It's not because of anything that goes on domestically in Afghanistan. It's because of one thing, protecting the United States, protecting American citizens. Because the last time the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, a vacuum remained there. That vacuum was controlled eventually by the Taliban and alongside, yes, Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. And what happened was al-Qaeda... Uh, took basically took control of that wasteland in Afghanistan, were, were supported by the Taliban, and together they masterminded 9-11. Yes, they were behind 9-11. I don't even see 9-11 mentioned in any of these reports. They're talking on and on about Afghanistan, why the troops are there. And they don't even mention a word about 9-11 or about Osama bin Laden. So that's egregious right there. That's what this is about. The United States went in there, invaded, because... They had to get rid of al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda and the Taliban were this massive stronghold uh, in Afghanistan. And Bush went in there following 9-11. It was absolutely the right move to do. So now the question is very simple. Not about women's rights. The question is, if you pull out, does that is the threat going to return? Is the Taliban and al-Qaeda or some other terrorist group, radical Islamists, are they going to swoop in? take control, and then use that as a new haven to plot terror attacks against the United States and American citizens and other, other by the way, other citizens around the world. Plain and simple. And the answer may be, but th that's the question, and the media is not reporting that. And look, I I'm, I'm willing to give it a chance because here's the thing, the military, and I have a lot of respect for the military, but they have an agenda. The military will always tell you that you need the military to solve problems, but there are people who believe that the way you can weed out terrorism in Afghanistan is not through the military, a much more effective way, and they're probably doing this already, is using intelligence operatives, using the CIA, using intelligence agencies. The CIA, the Navy SEALs, I know the Navy SEALs not an intel agency per se, but it's the same idea, using targeted surgical strikes. You need intel to go in there and assess the situation. You need to find the terror, locate the terror cells, and then you need to send in small units of highly trained um operatives to be able to weed out the terrorists. I'm willing to give that a shot. They say that tens of thousands of group of, of troops or even thousands of troops on the ground in Afghanistan, it, that presence is not really what gets out. Terror cells, they're too strategic. They manage to avoid those the, the military. It's not a military solution. The way you solve terrorism, at least in the year 2021, is with surgical strikes, with the CIA, with intel agencies, with Navy SEALs. And, and much, much smaller groups. So I'm willing to give that a chance, but that's the conversation. If the Biden administration defends pulling out of Afghanistan, that has to be the conversation. How are you going to prevent 
the Taliban and groups like Al-Qaeda or whatever the group is now, they call themselves some other name, but it's the same idea, groups that want to carry out terror attacks against uh, Amer- the United States and against the West, how do you prevent that from happening? If there's a good strategy in place, then I'm okay. But that is why the troops are there, plain and simple. And by the way, I don't blame the military. The military is always talking about, even now, they're saying, listen, you need a military presence there. That Look, that's their job. They believe that that's that they're the best solution to a lot of these problems, a lot of these crises, crises that are taking place in these foreign countries, especially, you know, Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, these countries where you literally have these havens for terrorists that who could just anytime they want basically take control. So I understand why they believe the military solution is the best, but, you know, and they have to make their case. That's fine. But I think we, it's time that we give somebody else a chance and see how that, how that goes because it is becoming a massive drain. All right, that's going to do it on this very, very busy Sunday, and we will see you next time.